With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The 2020 MLB season will be one like any other that we have seen before. A 60-game sprint in just over two months to decide who will be playing in October in a format that lends itself to the unpredictable. But that's where Greg Peterson comes in. He's got you covered daily, highlighting elements and angles that will be essential to know along with his picks with every single game on every single day. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting podcast with Greg Peterson. Hey, warm hello. Welcome to lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. We've got a great show for you today as Jason Radowitz, you know him from Sportsbook Review, aka SBR. He's going to be joining me in the second segment. We're going to have a good chat with him about everything that we are going to be seeing on Saturday. Get his thoughts on the slate in the final segment. I'm going to be giving you guys a sign total on every game on Saturday's MLB betting board and a little something I like to call touch them all first things first. As I always do on this podcast, I love to be able to answer your Twitter questions. If there is something that you like answered, fire that into my Twitter timeline at JarenScore81. You can also send these via a Apple Podcast review if you rate five stars. And if you do, I really do appreciate it because if you rate five stars on Apple Podcasts, you give this podcast more exposure, which means I make a little bit more money. I get a little bit more of a platform to continue to do what I do all for free. So if you guys do that, it is always much appreciated, but always send in those Twitter questions either via Apple Podcast Review or Twitter Timeline because if you send these via Twitter direct message, aka DM, well, those letters DM to me mean does not matter. I did not get in any today, but what we did have on Friday in the MLB was a crazy day of baseball. So Let's take a look back at that, try to find some trends, and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. The New York Mets all of a sudden are giving Jacob deGrom run support. They just completely demolished the Toronto, a.k.a. Buffalo Blue Jays, by a count of 18-1 for Jacob deGrom. He gave up one run early, and then from there he settled down. Six-round innings, he punches out nine. Now he's a buck 60 70 ERA. Gotta think that he's a front runner for... 
NL Cy Young Award. And then Arasimo Ramirez comes in for three scoreless innings. And the Mets score 18 runs while leaving 10 men on base. We'll get to men left on base in another game in a minute, but they were certainly able to get some power in this one. Michael Conforto, his ninth home run of the campaign. He wound up being able to go deep for, I believe it was a three-run home run. Dom Smith gets his eighth home run of the season. And then you have Wilson Ramos going deep for his fourth home run. That came off of Ken Giles. Ken Giles, someone who has not seen a lot of action so far this year due to injury, gives up that home run. And for Chase Anderson, he was chased out of this game very early. Two and two-thirds innings, he gives up four runs off, which were earned, and then he blew Jay's bullpen, which has been one of the better ones out there in the big leagues. They got completely smashed. Anthony Kay, big part of that Marcus Stroman trade. He goes two-thirds of an inning, and he gives up six runs, five of which were earned. Jacob Wog is back. He gives up four earned runs, six total over the course of two and two-thirds innings, and things got so bad. Santiago Espinal wind up Coming in to pitch the ninth inning for the Toronto Blue Jays. Not a lot doing. One of four with runners in scoring position. They're currently playing without Teoscar Hernandez and Rowdy Roddy Telez. Speaking of men that were left on base and staying out there in the Annalise, the Atlanta Braves. I don't know about you, but much like Taylor Swift, they were feeling 22. Because that's the amount of men that they left on base in their 8-7 loss to the Washington Nationals. I can't remember the last time I've seen 22 men left on base. They did wind up going 6-22 of 22 with men in scoring position. And for Marcel Zuna, he had a big hit in this game off of Will Harris, his 14th home run of the campaign. But for the Atlanta Braves, they wind up plating three runs in the ninth inning to force extra innings. And then in the 10th, 11th, and 12th innings, they come up dry every time. And I think they got the bases loaded at minimum in the 11th and the 12th inning. It might have been the 10th as well. And for the Washington Nationals, they burned through every bullpen arm that they had available. Eric Fetty Wapa, decent start in this one. He goes five innings and gives up two runs in the process. From there, Ryan Harper, Kevin McGowan, Wander I swear all this guy sucks, Will Harris, Danny Hudson, Kyle Finnegan, and then young James Bork all have to come into this game. You wind up having Hudson give up three runs in the ninth inning and giving up that home run was Will Harris, but you were able to actually have a pretty solid bullpen performance here as the team wound up giving up Five runs, but it was over the course of seven innings and for the Washington Nationals. Pair of home runs in this one. The third home run of the campaign for both Jan Gomes and Eric Thames. For the Atlanta Braves, they didn't get the start that they had desired out of Josh Shomlin. He gives up five runs over the course of four innings. And then coming out of the bullpen, you wound up having Will Smith getting jiggy with it, giving up a home run, and Tyler Madzik as well. But for the Atlanta Braves, they also burned through their bullpen, but it was by and large solid as well. I mean, you go seven and two-thirds innings, you give up three total runs, two of which were earned. You really can't ask for much more out of that, but certainly a wild and crazy game out they're in our nation's capital on Friday. What else is wild and crazy is how bad the Boston Red Sox are this year. They are now 16-30. and 30. They get crushed by the Tampa Bay Rays by kind of 11-1. It was Andrew Triggs who wound up being pretty much the opener in this one. He goes a scoreless setting, and then from there, they wind up giving Matt Hall another opportunity. And why this guy continues to get opportunities on an MLB mound, nobody knows. As he now has an 1869 ERA when your ERA is a higher number than the year that the Civil War ended. I will say that that's not good, and I think I'm putting it politely. He gives up four runs over the course of two and two-thirds innings, giving up a home run in the process. And then from there, Robinson Lair winds up giving up four runs in an inning. Domingo Tapa winds up making his major league debut. He gives up one run in an inning, and the Robert Stock well, he stuck the shelves full of runs. He gave up two of them while recording five outs for the Boston Red Sox. They wind up going two of nine with men in scoring position for the Tampa Bay Rays. Blake Snell, very good start. He winds up going five and a third inning, so not the greatest of length, but he gets five punch outs, doesn't give up a run. You wind up having 
One run given up out of the bullpen by Aaron Loop, but for the Tampa Bay Rays, going deep in this one, how about Nathaniel Lowe? He winds up getting his first and second home runs of the campaign, and Yoshi Tsutsogo. It has not been a great transition for him from the MPB to the MLB, but he winds up getting his seventh home run of the season, and Tampa Bay Rays just completely pulverized the Boston Red Sox, and they snapped their three-game losing streak. A team that had been on a losing streak against the Baltimore Orioles prior to Friday, that'd be the New York Yankees. After winning 19 straight against them, they have lost three straight. Well, they wind up taking a double dip from them on Friday, winning the first game by a count of 6-0. Garrett Cole had really been scuffling. Complete game in this one. Seven strong. He gets nine strikeouts. He gives up two hits. He was able to do his part. And for the Yankees, they were able to get a trio of home runs in the first two innings off of Alex Cobb. DJ LeMay was sixth home run of the campaign. You then wind up having Brett Gardner going deep for his fourth home run of the campaign. And then Kyle Higashioka gets his first home run of the season for Cobb. Just not a good start. Four innings, which he gives up five runs, all of which were earned. Tom Eshelman comes in from there. He winds up giving up one run over the course of two innings. It could have been much worse, but he was able to do a good job with the bases loaded of stranding a couple. And for the Baltimore Orioles, just two hits in this one. Nothing doing off of Mr. Garrett Cole. And then in game two, Masahiro Tanaka was not Tanaka around, but the Baltimore Orioles were. 10-1 to the final. As for the New York Yankees, a long ball was working in this game as well. Luke Voigt gets a pair of them. His 15th and 16th of the campaign for Masahiro Tanaka. Very good start. Gives up one run over the course of five innings. Luis Sessa was able to pitch a scoreless inning along with Brooks Kriske. So two lesser known relievers were able to do their job. And for the Baltimore Orioles, this was not what you were looking for out of young starter Keegan Aiken. He had a very good start against the New York Yankees the last time he faced them. In this one, he records two outs and he gives up four runs. Escher Wojciechowski, former starter, had to come in for long relief. Gives up six runs while recording five outs. That's not what you're looking for. Trey Lankins was able to give two and a third innings of scoreless baseball. And then Carson Fulmer. Yes, he is now on the Baltimore Orioles. He was able to give four outs as well. And for the Baltimore Orioles, lone form of brightness for this team, DJ Stewart. His sixth home run in the team's last eight games. So he has certainly been on fire. And speaking of fire, that is what the Kansas City Royals have struck as they now have won four straight games. They win by a count of four to three. So this is a Royals team that prior to this four-game win streak had lost seven in a row. So certainly an interesting year for them and for the Pittsburgh Pirates. The offensive woes continue. They go 2 of 10 with runners in scoring position now. Josh Bell was able to get his fifth home run in the campaign and his 16th RBI, but this is someone that is now 99 RBI behind what he had during the 2019 season for Stephen Brault. Not a terrific start here. He gives up three runs over the course of four innings. Bullpen was actually solid. Chris Strang gave up a run on the bullpen, but by and large, he go four strong innings, giving up one run in the process. But for the Kansas City Royals, Chris with a K. Bubich, by far his best start of his young career, and he's actually been a very good underpitcher. I believe that he's only had one of his starts go over. He has up one run over the course of five innings, and then from there, Jesse Hahn, Josh Stamont, Greg Holland, Scott Barlow all come in in relief. For Barlow, he gives up two runs, but the rest of the guys were able to do their job, and for the Kansas City Royals, Adalberto Mondesi starting to show off some power. He winds up getting his turn home run of the campaign as the Royals get it done royally once again. You know what's been royally bad? The Texas Rangers, ever since they got into the Fernando Tatis Jr. whole ordeal, they wind up losing to the Oakland A's by a count of 10-6. For the Texas Rangers, they used an opener for Jordan Lyles, and it wasn't necessarily a good idea. Luis Garcia, the opener. He gives up four runs and doesn't record it out because Matt Olson wound up hitting a grand slam off of him after he loaded up the bases being in the game his 13th of the season. I think that's the exact opposite of what you want from an opener. And then Robbie Grossman winds up going deep off of Jordan Lyles and so does Sean Murphy. Both of them had their fifth home run the campaign for Jordan Lyles. It doesn't matter if you have an opener going for him, if he starts himself, 
or if he comes in from Planet Pluto because he has stunk all the way around. Seven innings pitch, he gives up five runs, all of which weren't. He just had to eat innings because this team has a doubleheader and they didn't want to burn out their bullpen. And they said, you know what, Jordan? You've already blown this game enough. We're just going to send you out there for 115 pitches and raise your ERA to a 780. Meanwhile, for the Texas Rangers, they actually had a little bit of offense going in this one. Rude Anador is fourth home run on the campaign, and Elvis Andrews is third. Andrews winds up going deep off of Mike Stray Fires, who doesn't give up four runs over the course of six innings. And then from there, TJ McFarlane gave up two runs out of the bullpen, but for the Oakland A's, a team that has really been scuffling when it comes to batting average, they certainly were able to get things going. The Chicago White Sox have not been struggling for offenses here. They actually were a little bit in this game, but they wanted putting up a four spot and clumping all their hits together in the sixth inning to get past the Detroit Tigers by a count of four to three. For the Detroit Tigers, Casey Mize, a very good start, five in the third innings. He gives up two runs in the process, and then from there, Jose Cicerno winds up going for four outs, but he gives up a home run to Eloy Jimenez, his 12th of the campaign, that wound up being the difference. Lucas Giolito, five and two-thirds innings. He hasn't been himself ever since a no-hitter, giving up three runs, but Evan Marshall, along with Alex Colome and Cody Hewer, all come in, and they provide a combined three and a third innings, giving up just one hit and no runs in the process. And for the Chicago White Sox, this is now a team that all of a sudden is 28-16. and 16. They have certainly been able to get on a run, as this is a bunch that I believe has now won in their last six games, five of them, so that has been pretty rock solid. And for the Detroit Tigers, good news is they didn't give up 19 runs in this game. A team that wound up scoring 19 runs on the Detroit Tigers a few days ago did the exact opposite, but the result was the same. Milwaukee Brewers get their second straight shutout, and they knock off the Chicago Cubs by a count of 1-0. to zero. This game was just absolutely atrocious from an offensive standpoint. John Lester had given up five plus runs in four out of his last five starts. Looked like Cy Young in this one, going six scoreless innings. Craig Kimbrell wound up pitching a scoreless inning. Rowan Wick winds up giving up the game-winning run as he went an inning plus. Jeremy Jeffries wound up actually giving up that run, but for both of these teams, a combined six hits for the Milwaukee Brewers. Brandon Woodruff, seven strong innings. He gives up one hit, 12 strikeouts. Devin Williams and Josh Hader close the door from there. So certainly a very interesting one. And for the Chicago Cubs and Milwaukee Brewers, over the last 55 games in this rivalry, 70% of the games have went under. So that has been a white-hot trend. You know what else is white-hot? The Philadelphia Phillies offense. They wind up taking down the Miami Marlins in game one of their doubleheader by a count of 11. Another thing for the Miami Marlins, you figured at some point Trevor Rodgers was going to have a little bit of regression coming in. And oh boy, did it hit in a big way in game one of this doubleheader. Nine runs, eight of which were earned over the course of three innings, giving up two home runs. Robert Duggar had to come in for four innings of long relief. He gave up two runs in the process. Going deep for the Phillies. Andrew McCutcheon, his sixth home run of the campaign, to Reese Hoskins his 10th. This team went 6 of 14 with men in scoring position. And for Aaron Supernola, he was super. Complete game, 10 punch outs over the course of seven innings. For the Miami Marlins, just nothing doing here. But the script was reversed in game two as the Phillies wind up losing to the Miami Marlins by a count of 5 to 3 for the Phillies. It was a bullpen game because, I kid you not, Zach Wheeler got injured and could not pitch in this game due to putting on pants. Apparently, he hurt his hand trying to put on pants. If that's not 2020, I don't know what is, but as a result, Blake Parker wound up getting the start in this one. Two strong innings, he doesn't give up a run. Ethan Embry came out of the bullpen, he gave up a run. Ranger Suarez, you know it's not good when he enters into a game. He gives up three runs in a third of an inning, raising his ERA to a 22-50, and then David Ale winds up coming in along David Phelps. They combined for the final three innings, giving up one run. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, they weren't able to get that deep fly in this one, as the Miami Marlins were able to get a pretty decent start out of Daniel Castano. Only three and two-thirds innings, 
but he gives up one unearned run. Brian Boxberger gave up a run on the bullpen along with Emi Garcia, but for the Miami Marlins, Lewis Brinson is all of a sudden hitting. Another sign that the apocalypse is coming. He gets his sort of run in the campaign. That was off of Heath Embry, so another overplayed by the Philadelphia Phillies. This is a team that they certainly haven't been going under too much recently as you take a look at it for them. I believe that they have now played something like five out of their last six games of the over and the Miami Marlins well, they know a lot about overs as each of their last four have went over. The Colorado Rockies, it depended on your total on this one as to whether you got an over, an under, or a push, but they wind up getting a walk-off grand slam to take down the LA Angels by a count of 8-4. to four. If you wind up having anything less than 12.5 and, and you were on the under, I really do light a candle for you because a walk-off grand slam is brutal. But for Blackman, that is his sixth home run of the campaign that came off of Jose Quijada, and then Ryan McMahon also gets his seventh home run of the campaign. That came off of Ty Buttery. That was earlier in the ninth inning as the Angels actually led in this game 4-3 to three going into the bottom of the ninth inning, and they completely blew it with the bullpen for the Angels. Griffin Cannon, considering the circumstances, not a bad start. Five and two-thirds innings, he gives up three runs. And then from there, Mike Myers, Felix Pena, they were all able to provide a grand total of two and a third innings of scoreless baseball. And for this team, they were able to get a pair of home runs. Being able to give this team the lead going into the bottom of the ninth inning, Anthony Benboom's second home run in the campaign that came off of Daniel Bard and then Jared Walsh earlier in the game. He went deep off of Michael Givens. He was giving him the fourth home run in the campaign of the season for him. For Herman Marquez, he was terrific. Gives up two runs over the course of seven innings for the Rockies. And then Givens and Barr give up those home runs as they give up a run apiece in an inning. But for the Colorado Rockies, a huge win for them that really helps them out in the postseason hunt. Another team that is surprisingly in the postseason hunt, that would be the Seattle Mariners. But they lose to the hopeless Arizona Diamondbacks, which you're going to find in the next segment. They've done something completely awful if you want to betting a future on them. 4-3, to three, the final in this one. For the Arizona Diamondbacks, they wind up being able to get a little bit of solid performance when it comes to the bats. Two of six with Ben in scoring position. For Caleb Smith, he winds up getting his first start in an eon. He gives up one over the course of three innings. And then you wind up having Alex Young being used as a long guy. Five and a third innings of two-run baseball. And then from there, Stephon Kitchen was able to get the final two outs and the save for the Seattle Mariners. They were able to get a pair of home runs in this one. Ty France, his first as a Seattle Mariner. He came over in that trade with the San Diego Padres. Meanwhile, you had Dylan Moore getting his seventh of the season. But for Yusei Kikuchi... Just another rough one for him. He gives up four runs over the course of six innings. That is a 5.35 ERA. And then you don't mess with the Johan Ramirez and Anthony Mishevich come in for a scoreless inning apiece for the Arizona Diamondbacks, a team that has scored four runs or fewer. And I believe now 17 either their last 21 games, but they get the job done on this night. Also getting the job done on this night. Cincinnati behind a good start from Luis Castillo. 3-1 to one, the final. You figured that there was going to be some positive regression coming for Luis Castillo. And it came in the form of a complete game. He gave up one run in the process for the Cincinnati Reds. You had Joey Votto going deep off of Adam Wainwright. His seventh of the season to be able to set the tone. As for the St. Louis Cardinals, Wainwright not a great start, but it certainly wasn't terrible. He gives up three runs over the course of six innings. From there, you wind up having the bullpen of Taylor Webb, Seth Alledge, and a little bit of a newer guy and Nabel Krismat all come in for a squirrel setting a piece, but for the St. Louis Cardinals, just nothing doing with the bats. They got two heads off of Luis Castillo. They just weren't able to generate a whole lot of anything. And speaking of not being able to generate a whole lot of anything, felt like that was a lot of the games out there in the Midwest as the Minnesota Twins wind up taking down the Cleveland Indians by a count of 3-1. to one. For the Indians, their lone run in the game came off the bat of Jose Ramirez in the ninth inning. He gets a 10th home run in the campaign off of Taylor Rogers and for Shane Bieber. His first loss of the season. His ERA goes from a buck 25 to a 153 as he gave up three runs over the course of seven innings. James Karinczak wound up pitching a scoreless inning for the team as well as Minnesota was able to take him deep twice. Byron Buxton in his seventh home run in the campaign and all of a sudden they've been able to get something out of Ryan Jeffers. 
Young catcher was able to get his second home run of the season. That was also off of Mr. Bieber fever for Kenta Maeda. He has been pretty terrific for the Minnesota Twins. Seven scoreless innings for the team. Sergio Romo and Taylor Rogers from there closed the door as Rogers gave up that lone run. But another under for the Minnesota Twins. And the Twins, when it comes to at home, have played over 75% of their games to the under. And the Twins and the Indians continue to be the top two under teams out there in baseball. So... That certainly has been something to behold. And something to behold is this weekend slate in Major League Baseball. Helping me to break down everything that we're going to see on Saturday. That would be our good buddy Jason Radowitz of Sportsbook Review. And that is going to be on the other side right here on the Baseball Bank Podcast. Myself, Craig Peterson. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. We're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. It is great to be joined by our next guest. This man has joined me quite a bit on this podcast this season, and it's because he does a great job with a variety of different places. He actually used to be a graduate assistant for Hartford, their men's basketball team. Now he does some great work with Sportsbook Review, Doc Sports, and so much more. Breaks out a little bit of everything. The KBO, MLB, NFL, player props when it comes to the NBA, and occasionally he gets 45 minutes of sleep. You can follow him on Twitter <laughs> at Jason underscore Radowitz. That last name is spelled R-A-D-O-W-I-T-Z. As it is, Jason joining me on the podcast. And it is always great to have you aboard. How are you? Of course. I love being on this podcast. And you do a great job. I appreciate you having me on here for sure. But yeah, I'm doing well. Football is beginning now. College football and the NFL. So that's been a lot of fun. But, you know, still the, the main priority is baseball and the MLB. And yeah, it's weird to say this, but we are close to the postseason after the start of the season. <laughs> it's so weird, yeah. but this is great. It's a lot of fun going down the stretch now with the expanded playoffs. There's a lot to look at, and I'm excited to see what happens. Absolutely, and as we're taking a look at the board for Saturday, we're noticing a bunch of games are off the board just because you've got a bunch of undecided pitchers. I know that for the Oakland and Texas game that's going to be going down on Saturday, they have not announced starters for either double header game. How hard is this for you when you wind up seeing a lot of these games for the weekend and they're just off the board. Because for me, what is always the most difficult is when a game is off the board and it starts before like noon Pacific time because you just don't have a lot of time. It becomes a wild, wild west trying to identify those numbers. If you have a game that's off the board, but say it's like a 10 Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific first pitch, 
that's pretty manageable. But I always think it's so difficult when you wind up getting those day games and they're off the board the night before. Yeah, with double headers for me, especially this season, because games are seven innings, I usually just stay away from double headers. I'll go handicap it and give my leans out. But at the end of the day, it's so hard for me to put, you know, actual money on double header games just because the rules are so much different than we're used to. And just the other thing is just not knowing, you know, what lineups are going to look like, you know, which relievers might come in if, you know, some starters get the shorter leash because the game's only seven innings. So, there's a lot of different things with doubleheaders that really just kind of scares me. So, you know, not knowing these pitchers is definitely challenging for sure for the Athletics and Rangers games. But the reality is I'm going to look at all the other games that have pitchers. I'm going to find my play or two, and I will give that out. And the rest will be potential leans and uh, especially for doubleheaders, there's no chance I'll be giving me an official play with these two games. It can be certainly very tricky whenever you get into those doubleheaders, as we do have Jason Radowitz joining me on the podcast. Hey, Jason, I know that you're a man out there in the northeastern part of the country, more towards that New York, New Jersey area. And one team that has been a big enigma so far this year, that would be the New York Yankees. On Saturday, they're going to be having Jordan Montgomery coming to the mound, as we know, for Jordan Montgomery. It has been a little bit of a trial by fire for him as he wound up missing quite a few of the last few seasons due to injury. He's going to be going up against Dean Creamer, someone that certainly was a highly touted prospect for the Boston Red Sox, but it is first start against the Yankees. He winds up going six strong, giving up one hit. I don't know how you view this game, but I'm seeing a total here of nine. I've got to think that the Yankees are going to be able to hit Mr. Creamer a little bit better in this spot. I mean, I think that what you saw in his first start was just the Yankees having never seen him before with them having a crack at him in a game just a week ago. I think that this will be a good spot for the Yankees to be able to get their offense back rolling. Yeah, and the, the thing is, the Yankees now playing back-to-back doubleheaders could be pretty hard you know, for the offense to get going. Or it could mean that this offense really starts to pick it up with more consistency, getting more at-bats. Yeah, like we've seen, the Yankees have been really struggling offensively, have lost plenty of games, and now potentially could you know wind up out of the playoffs if they don't perform down the stretch. So, yeah, this is the time for the Yankees. They have to pick it up. They have to start performing. And they face young guys like this that potentially you know could falter early in these games. They need a win. But at the end of the day, Jordan Montgomery, he's not really the pitcher that you'd want on the mound in these situations either. 5.72 ERA is not good for any pitcher. But yeah, I mean, he's limited the walks well. He does allow home runs, but... The reality is the Yankees really need to start picking it up now. As more players come back from the injured list, I do think the Yankees will be hard to beat. You know, their losses are coming now, but if they do end up making the playoffs, and I still think they will make the playoffs, but once they do make the playoffs, I think the Yankees will be a hard out and can potentially go into the World Series and do some damage as long as Derek Cole performs, and we'll see how he does. Yeah, it certainly is going to be fascinating if the Yankees can get their guys like Aaron Judge and John Carlos staying healthy at the right time. No doubt this is going to be a team that is going to be very dangerous. As joining me right now on the podcast, we've got ourselves Jason Radowitz of Sportsbook Review. And Jason, what else I find very fascinating is this Atlanta Braves versus Washington Nationals game. Patrick Corbin just has not been himself this year. Is the Washington Nationals as a team have not been themselves. Going into Friday, 16 and 26, they wind up blowing a nice lead on Thursday. And for the Atlanta Braves, I certainly don't think that they're going to be scoring 29 runs once again, but they've been getting a nice find in Ian Anderson. 2-0 and so far through three starts. He's given up five runs, four of which were earned. Didn't necessarily see this from Ian Anderson. I was taking a look at his minor league numbers. I thought that he would be giving up a little bit more just because we have noticed from him seven walks and 15 innings. He's been doing a good job of being able to get swings and misses, 
But what do you see out of this game as the Atlanta Braves on the road? A slight favorite in this one. I'm seeing them right in the neighborhood of about minus 120. I do think that there is going to be some regression for Anderson. I do think that at some point, Patrick Corbin, who just has happened himself with a 434 ERA, he is going to be able to pick it up despite the fact that the Braves certainly have been doing a good job on offenses here. Yeah, it's an interesting matchup for sure. Ian Anderson, this is a guy that was a highly touted prospect coming in. So it's nothing like, oh, wow, I, you know, who would have expected this? You know, the Braves expected this, even though his numbers in the minor leagues maybe weren't this great. But yeah, Anderson, he's done a great job getting ground balls in these first three games. When I'm capping games, I love looking at the ground ball rate because getting ground balls is not just usually like good outs. It's just, what about double plays, right? If you get a high ground ball rate, and maybe, like you said, maybe you're walking a couple batters, well, now you're getting solid ground balls and you're able to get that double play. Also, Anderson striking out 10.8 batters per nine innings. So, if runners are on base, he's able to get out of jams with strikeouts. He has it in his arsenal. If you think he'll be able to get ground balls and strikeouts, those are the two metrics I really look at to say, okay, this pitcher's going to do well. And then you also have to look at, of course, you know, the, the, the batters and the other team is hitting. But the Nationals, this is a team that has struggled a lot this season. Of course, Juan Soto has been in and out of that lineup throughout the season. But the reality is, without Rendon, without even Harper from two years ago, this is an offense that's starting to kind of the window a little bit and not being able to perform uh, to the ability that they did last season or even the year before that. The record is really reflecting that as well. They're not even getting great starts out of Scherzer or Corbin. The Nationals, they're just a really bad team right now. The Braves are a playoff team. Nationals aren't. So if you can get those Braves at a you know slight favorite, even if they're on the road against the Nationals, I, I like them here in the spot. I'm not sold on Corbin. This season, he's two and four at eight starts. The strikeout numbers are a lot lower than I would have expected as well. So I would side with Anderson and the Braves in this one. It's going to be such an interesting ride for the Washington Nationals in this offseason. Obviously, they win the World Series in 2019. Here in 2020, you can tell that the bullpen just has not been up to stuff that's putting it very politely. And a bullpen that has not been up to stuff so far this year, that'd be that of the Philadelphia Phillies. But we've been talking a lot on this podcast the first couple games that we previewed about highly touted prospects, and Spencer Howard certainly was one of them coming into the season. He had a little bit of a rough go of it in his first couple starts of the year. I think the big thing was he just wasn't delivering a lot of length in general for the Philadelphia Phillies, but he's looked a little bit better recently, and he's going to be going up against Jose Ureña of the Miami Marlins on Saturday. For the Marlins, they are finding themselves as very, very slight favorites here. I'm seeing them right around minus 110 ish. This is a relative pick'em game, as I see it right now for Spencer Howard. 566 ERA. He has been far from seller, but it's one of these things where Howard hasn't been terrific, but at the same time, he hasn't been completely blown up. And if this does come down to the lineup, I certainly would have a little bit more faith here in the Philadelphia Phillies. Not sure where you're looking on this one, but I think that this is one of the more intriguing games of the slate on Saturday, and that's reflected by the fact that this game is a relative pick em. Yeah, for sure. I think the Marlins, this team will start to falter a little bit. I don't think that they're a playoff team that we're all kind of raving about right now and I think the Marlins definitely struggle to win games down the stretch and here we are the Phillies who are you know in my eyes definitely a playoff team you know of course Spencer Howard a prospect that maybe hasn't performed how we would have liked or expected but uh, Jose Urena this is kind of a guy coming into the season you know this getting his first start after a long time off he didn't look great in his first start of the season I think the Phillies can definitely hit off of Urena and like you said Howard this is a guy that can perform, does look good, keeps the Phillies in the game at least. So, yeah, getting the Phillies as a slight underdog or even a pick definitely, you know, would be favorable in my opinion. I think Howard's a better pitcher than Urena. 
Yeah, Urania certainly an interesting case study. As I remember during the 2019 season, he was actually the Miami Marlins closer towards the end of the season. And boy, was he not closing out a whole lot of games. As joining me right now on the podcast is Jason Reidowitz. And Jason, what else I'm going to find very fascinating is to see how Zach Gallen bounces back from really the worst start of his career the last time out. This is someone that had given up three runs or fewer in every one of his career starts before winding up giving up four runs to the San Francisco Giants on Monday. That is over the course of 24 starts that he's given up three runs or fewer, and now 23 of them. He's going to be going up against a Seattle Mariners team that has actually played some good baseball recently. Prior to their series against the Giants, they were riding a six-game win streak. I think that this is going to be a bit of an intriguing game, and as I'm seeing it right now, the Arizona Diamondbacks between minus 160 and minus 170 favorites. With this, I just think that you've got to be taking a look at the underdog because I could see Zach Allen pitching a very good game, no question about it, because we've seen it from him all year long. But despite his 229 ERA, 60 strikeouts and 55 innings, over the course of nine starts, he has one win, and that just tells me right there that the Arizona Diamondbacks aren't backing him up with anything when it comes to both the bullpen and the lineup. Yeah, exactly. Allen's been really impressive. And I just saw the Diamondbacks had their win total set at 31.5. That won't hit already in the season. They've lost that. If you had the under, you would have won. If you had the over, you've already lost that bet for their win total. That's how disappointing the Diamondbacks have been this season. The only bright spot literally has been Zach Gallen. He's, like you said, not getting any support. But Justin Sheffield Sheffield on the mound for the Mariners. Sheffield has a 4.34 ERA, but a 3.13 FIP. His walks were high to begin the season, but now they're starting to get a little, little lower. He's also not allowing too many home runs. And the Mariners, with the Yankees struggling, they're actually fighting for that last spot in the AL to make the playoffs. So the Mariners still have something to play for, while the Diamondbacks are definitely out of the playoffs, and they really just don't look like a, a great baseball team after underperforming throughout the entire season. So, yeah, I mean, Gallon not getting that support at all. I like the Mariners here with Sheffield. It's a tough one, though. For me, like this is a game where I would just love to watch it and not bet it and just enjoy the pitching matchup, just see what happens. Because, you know, with Gallon, you never know what could happen. The Diamondbacks maybe, you know, scratch out a couple of runs and Gallon holds the Mariners and game over. So tough game. It's something I'm not going to be betting on. I can tell you right now, White Goodman of Dodgeball, not proud of these co- not proud of these Purple Cobras right now. It has not been a good season for them, to say the least, but it has been a good season for you, Jason. We've got a very complete card on Saturday. We finally have gotten past the COVID hiccup, so we've got a full slate on the board for Saturday. We've went through a couple games already, but is there anything as of right now that's really catching your eye as we're doing this podcast? Numbers are starting to come out for Saturday's games. Obviously, some very interesting pitching matchups. I mentioned that we've got a couple games off the board, but is there anything that when you looked at it, whether it be from a betting standpoint or just a watching standpoint, that you put a star next to? Well, I'm excited for the Indians and Zach Plesak. This is a guy who I don't think anybody really you know thought would be the ace that he is. And the funny thing with, is with the Indians is like their offense is so miserable, but their pitching is so good. And we just talked about how Zach Gallen has been you know, so good with his offense struggling. And the same thing going for with the Indians. The Indians have, you know, such great pitching with Beaver, Plesak, Carrasco. I mean, the list goes on. Savali's not pitching too bad either. And obviously Tristan McKenzie. So right there, I just named off the all five pitchers of the Indians who have all pitched really well this season. They're just not getting any offense, right? So this series with the Indians versus the Twins, a lot going on with the AL Central. This should be a lot of fun. I see how Plesak goes against Rich Hill who hasn't been that great with a 4.56 FIP. There's a lot of stuff going on to AL Central, which is a lot of fun. We'll see how that all ends up. We saw a total that was below 7 
in the Twins versus Indians game on Friday. And that's for a nine-inning game. That's not one of those seven-inning doubleheaders. For an actual nine-inning game, the Minnesota Twins, who set a record for most home runs during the 2019 season, played a game in which a total was south of seven. So that tells you right there just how strange 2020 has been. But, Jason, you've done a great job of persevering through all of it. You're handicapping a little bit of everything. I know that this weekend you're going to be very busy with football. But at the same time, you're still doing some KBO, MLB, player props when it comes to the NBA. list goes on and on you are a man that you wear a bunch of hats, but you check all the boxes so well. So let the good people at home know what you're working on in general right now. Now they're able to follow along on social media and the various websites that you write for. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. We got all the sports back at the same times, and some of these sports don't usually play at the same time. So it's pretty interesting and pretty fun, but definitely a lot of work. But you know what? I, I, I can't complain at all. So you can find me at SBR with my picks. You can find me on Twitter, Jason underscore Radowitz. There I put all my... MLB picks. You can also find me on my Patreon and click there. Also, you know, for the MLB on American Bang Experts and Doc Sports, I have some NFL articles now coming out from them as well. So I'm around the map with all the sports and uh, we don't usually get all of these sports at the same time, but it's been a pleasure and it's been a lot of fun. And I can't wait for the weekend because that's when we get all the football games, all the baseball games, some of the basketball games. There's even NHL. I don't even watch that, but I mean, I know a lot of, you know, people do and so golf, tennis, I mean, this is nuts. Uh, it certainly is nuts. It's also certainly nuts as to what we're going to be seeing in the NFL season. I personally am going to be taking the first couple weeks off from betting before I wind up jumping in, just because I think that we both agree this might be the most interesting betting season of all time for any sport, just because with no preseason games, no real baseline to know what you're going to be getting out of any of these NFL teams. It's going to be a big crapshoot. Any sport that's already a crapshoot, so... That is going to be very interesting, but somehow, some way, I'm sure that Jason is going to be coming out like 15 and one or something like that because that's exactly what he does, and he's always tremendous when he joins this podcast. So, big thanks to Jason Dreidowitz for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. Coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. I give you a sign total on every game on Saturday's MLB betting board. It's something I like to call Touch Em All. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. 
And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Big thanks to Jason Radowitz of SBR, aka Sportsbook Review, for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you a sign total on every game on the Saturday MLB betting board and something I like to call Touch Em All. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GRSQuarty1. As per usual, we are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order, and I am not going to be going through the Giants versus Padres game because, as I found out minutes before I came on to do this podcast, their game for Saturday has been postponed due to COVID-19. I thought we were over this. Unfortunately, we are not just the times that we're living in right now, but for all the other games, I will have picks for you, and we're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order as per usual. This begins with 951-952 on the betting board as you've got the New York Yankees, and they are going to be playing host to the Baltimore Orioles. It is going to be Jordan Montgomery who is going to be going for the New York Yankees. Meanwhile, going on the mound for the Baltimore Orioles, it is going to be one Dean Kramer. Your total on this game is between 9 and 9.5. And on the 9, the over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 125. Under is anywhere between minus 110 and plus 105. On the 9.5, under is minus 115. Over is minus 105. And you're looking at the Yankees. Going to be finding them anywhere between minus 175 and minus 190. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Orioles is anywhere between plus 155 and plus 170. And this is a spot in which I've just got to be taking a look at the New York Yankees. Prior to their three-game losing streak going into the series, the Yankees had taken 19 straight from the Baltimore Orioles. And it looks like that dominance is back. Now, Jordan Montgomery probably not going to be given a lot of length for the New York Yankees. Five innings or fewer in each out of his last four starts and in that time span. And it's really had some strange lines as he's only walked three batters in this four-star time span. But with that said, he has given up five-plus hits in each out of those last three starts. He certainly has been hit around a little bit with that regard. And then you just take a look at the swing and miss stuff. Over his last two starts, a combined three strikeouts. He just seems to be jacking up his pitch count. He hasn't been out by the fielding. So that's been interesting. Meanwhile, Kramer, he had a very good start to begin his career against the New York Yankees. But keep in mind, Keegan Aiken also had a very good start against the New York Yankees to begin his career. And then on Friday, we saw them really come to the forefront and just knock them around. And for the New York Yankees, it seems like this team has awoken out of its slumber. 16 runs across the two games on Friday. DJ LeMay is doing a great job of being able to carry the water for this team. He's hitting a 360. Luke Voigt, we all know what he's capable of. Now he's 16 home runs. He's hitting well above a 280 himself. And Clint Frazier along Glaber Torres have been doing a solid job in the middle of the lineup. Both these guys, 360 on base or higher. And you can also throw Aaron Hicks in there. He's got a 373 on base. He's only in a 210, but for Torres and Frazier, both hitting above a 250. You got to think that Miguel Anduar, Gary Sanchez, Brett Gardner, and Thario Estrada, all guys hitting a 220 or lower are going to be able to pick it up as well. And for the Baltimore Orioles, got to think they're going to score more than the one run that they put up in their double dip on Friday. They've got a trio of guys that are hitting a 300 or higher in Ryan Mountcastle, Anser Alberto, and Jose Iglesias. Now, you do have a couple guys that they do need to pick it up. Chris Davis is sitting a buck 15. I mean, talk about a waste of money. There you go. Andrew Vasquez has been hitting below the Mendoza line as well. Brian Holiday is only giving you a 208. And what's interesting is Jan Sisko. He's not singing the thong song. He's singing the I'm hitting a 230 batting average with a 380 on base song. So, interesting Bullet there, and then you've got Pavlika, who's been able to do a solid job for the team. Six home runs, 
262 batting average, Cedric Mullins, along with DJ Stewart, have been able to get it going for DJ Stewart. I mean, turn it up. He's got six home runs over the team's last eight days. Cedric Mullins is hitting a 290 as well, but for the Baltimore Orioles, they certainly had to dive deep into their bullpen the last couple days. They actually wound up picking up Carson Fulmer, by the way. That tells you how far he's flown, but for both of these teams, bullpen is a little bit taxed, so I do think that that's going to lend itself to a couple more runs. I really don't think that either starter is going to get out of here, giving up fewer than three runs, but I think that in the end, the Yankees are just going to put it on the Baltimore Orioles once again. So I'm going to be looking at a run line price here with the New York Yankees along with this total over. If you're looking at the Yankees on the run line right now, it's going to be a little bit of a horse apiece situation. I'm seeing them at a little bit of minus money, so it is going to be one of these situations in which I'm going to continue to monitor that, and I'm also going to be going with this total over as well. 9.53, 9.54 on the betting board is up next. The Atlanta Braves are going to be hitting the road face off against the Washington Nationals. Patrick Corbin is going to be going for the Nets. Meanwhile, Ian Anderson on the bump for the Atlanta Braves. If you're looking at the Braves, you're going to be laying anywhere between, this is a very crazy split, anywhere between minus 105 and I'm seeing a minus 130 out there. I'm not sure why we have a minus 130 on the Atlanta Braves, but that is currently the case. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Washington Nationals, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 110 and minus 105. Your total on this game is 9 with an eye. The over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even a minus 110. For Patrick Corbin, it certainly has been a little bit of a trial by fire season, and both of these teams just had their bullpens completely ravaged. When it comes to Patrick Corbin, I do think that he's going to be able to deliver a good start. For one, because his team needs it, because they used up every stinking bullpen arm that they had along with the Atlanta Braves. And for two, you just take a look at his pass. He's given up three runs or fewer in three of the team's last four games, but he's actually done an okay job of keeping down the walks. 15 walks over the course of 45 and two-thirds innings. 42 punch-outs so far this year, so yeah, I feel like he's going to be able to pick it up. He gave up five runs in his last start against the Atlanta Braves, but you just take a look throughout his career. He's had some slumps like this, and he's been able to get out of them. Meanwhile, for Ian Anderson, this is someone that he really didn't wow me at the minor league level, and yet he's come up to the major league level in three starts. He has won six plus innings in two of his starts, and he's given up a grand total of five total runs, four of which were earned in that time span, only giving up one home run in the process. The seven walks are a little bit high. The 18 punch outs have been solid. And for the Washington Nationals, you just don't know what you're going to be able to get out of this team from game to game. And for that matter, how does the Atlanta Braves respond after they wind up losing on Friday, after they wind up stranding? Get this, 22, yes, 22 men on base. The only person that's proud of that is Taylor Swift because I don't know about you, but she's feeling 22. But you take a look at this Washington Nationals team. They're typically the bunch that is leaving a whole bunch of men on base, but they've actually had some solidness when it comes to the lineup recently as Juan Soto and Trey Turner down for what? Both guys hitting a 360 or higher for Soto, a 492 on base for Trey Turner, 421. But then up behind them, you got quite a few guys who are doing a solid job as well. Jan Gomes, Luis Garcia, coupled with Josh Harrison, all guys in between a 275 and a 286. The bottom of the lineup is leaving a little bit of something to be desired. Eric Thames, Adam Eaton, Azdrubal Cabrera, Carter Keyboom are all guys wearing a 225 or lower along with Michael A. Taylor. But Brock Holt, ever since he's gotten to this team, and he was terrible with the Milwaukee Brewers, I can tell you this in person, he was hitting like a 100 for the Brewers. With the Nationals, he's been hitting like a 350 for them. Meanwhile, for the Atlanta Braves, I mean, this is really a situation in which I'm seeing Twitter be very, very angry with Nick Markakis. Even though he's hitting a 253 for the year, 320 on base, he's actually been pretty rock solid. And Duvall's hitting a 260. We all know about the home runs that he's hit recently. Ozzy Albies and Austin Riley are starting to pick it up. Both these guys hitting between a 220 and a 235. And then you've got 
Ronald Lacuna Jr. hitting a 280 with a 434 on base. Freddie Freeman, Marcel Azuna, Travis Arno, and Dansby Swanson all hitting a 300 grader, all with a 367 on base or higher as well. But with that said, with the Atlanta Braves, you got to feel like this is a bunch that they are going to have a little bit of a tougher time with Patrick Corbin. I know that they hit him around the last time, but I think that Corbin is going to make some adjustments here. I think it's going to be a little bit of a dicey situation here for the Atlanta Braves. I think that Anderson is going to get a hit around a little bit, and I do think that Corbin is going to be able to go 7-plus for the Washington Nationals and preserve a bullpen that, let's face it, it got gas. And for the Atlanta Braves, despite the fact that they used up quite a few of their bullpen arms on Friday, they are still a top-five bullpen when it comes to ERA. So we're going to be taking this total under, and I'm going to be riding with the Washington Nationals. We move on to 9.55, 9.56 on the betting board. Philadelphia Phillies are going to be on the road facing off against the Miami Marlins. Jose Yarena goes for the fish. Meanwhile, Spencer Howard is on the bump for the Philadelphia Phillies. Total on this game is 9 overs anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Unders anywhere between even and minus 105. If you're taking a look at the Phillies, this has flipped a little bit from our conversation with Jason. They are now anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120 slight favorites. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Miami Marlins, you're going to be finding them anywhere between even money and plus 110. Certainly a spot in which I'm going to be taking a look at the Philadelphia Phillies. These two teams wound up splitting their double dip on Friday, and this is the first scheduled seven-game series between a team in Major League Baseball since, like, the 1960s. So that has been very wild for Jose Urania. Just hard to have any confidence in this guy. He was relegated to the bullpen during the 2019 season. He didn't necessarily look good there. Now, the team won his first start of the year against the Atlanta Braves, but it's not like he was selling that start. He won five innings. He gave up three runs, all of which were earned three walks in the process. Only two strikeouts. He's never been much of a swing and miss guy. Meanwhile, for Spencer Howard, he's going to be a good starter in this league moving forward. As of right now, he's below average, in my opinion. This is someone that has won five innings or fewer in all five of his starts so far this year. He has looked a little bit better recently. Giving up three earned runs of fewer in each out of his last three starts. In his first two starts, he had given up at least four total runs in those starts. And this is someone that he has a little bit of an issue with the walks. Eight walks and 20 in a third innings. It's not great. It's not terrible. He's just sort of meh. And well, you know that the Philadelphia Phillies, well, their bullpen is not necessarily terrific. But with that said, you know what else has been very fascinating? What you've been able to get out of the Miami Marlins on offense. Because you've got a couple guys that they are doing a solid job for this team. Corey Dickerson has upped his average to right around a 245. And then you've got quite a few guys that they're hitting above a two. 65. You take a look at Jesus Aguiar, Starling Marte, part of the infamous Marte Parte on this podcast, Brett Anderson, Garrett Cooper, Izan Diaz, and Miguel Rojas. They've all been doing a solid job. Now, Jorge Alfaro got off to a really rough start to the year after he came down with COVID, but he, Lewis Brinson, and Corey Dickerson seem to be picking it up. All these guys hitting above a 225, but below a 245, so there's been a little bit of improvement there. They've gotten Monte Harrison out of batting every single day. That's a good thing. I still remember when he hit like a buck 50 with the Wisconsin Timber Adlers in single-A baseball back when I was still living in the state of Wisconsin. But for the Philadelphia Phillies, this is a team that they've just got weapons upon weapons that they do a great job of getting on base. Reese Hoskins along with Rice Harper are a pair of guys that have an on-base percentage that is north of a 395. Both of these guys are hitting between a 248 and a 258. Then from there, you've got a lot of other guys that they've got solid batting averages between a I would say 255 and a 270. You've got D.D. Gregorius who falls into that category. Andrew McCutcheon Gene Segura, and then going well above that, how about what you've been able to get out of Phil Goslin? Adam Hazley, Austin Knapp, and then you've got a little bit of a duo in young prospects in Ronald Torres, 
along with Alec Baum, who are all hitting above a 300 for this team. So they are just getting at-bats and quality ones across the board. They certainly do a great job of being able to take guys deep for the Miami Marlins. They certainly had to dive deep in their bullpen because in Game 1, Trevor Rogers got completely destroyed, and that was not necessarily good. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, they went with the bullpen game in Game 2 of their doubleheader because Zach Wheeler somehow, someway got injured putting on pants. I'm not even kidding. You could go Google it. He got injured putting on pants, and he wound up not being able to make his start. That is something that I never thought I would say, but this is 2020, ladies and gentlemen. So I certainly do think that we're going to get a high-scoring game. I'm going to be taking this total over, but I have more faith in Spencer Howard and the depth of the Philadelphia Phillies here, so we're going to be going with them as well. 957-958 on the betting board is up next. You've got the New York Metropolitans hitting the road to face off against the Toronto, a.k.a. Buffalo Blue Jays. Seth Lugo goes for the Metropolitans. Meanwhile, for the Toronto Blue Jays, it's to be determined. Now you got to think that the Blue Jays are going to do better than their effort on Friday when they wound up giving up 18 runs. And for Seth Lugo, this is someone that you can't expect a ton of length from. He's been getting stretched out a little bit more. This is going to be his fourth start of the year. First two starts, three innings, three and two-thirds innings, and then five innings. He's given up one run or fewer in each of them. Now, both of them were a solo shot, but he's doing a great job getting swings and misses. How about 15 punch outs over his last two starts. This is someone that has really wowed everyone. Meanwhile, for the Toronto Blue Jays, this is a team that by and large they've had a pretty solid bullpen, but you gotta think in this spot, it's probably gonna be someone like Robbie Ray, and if they're gonna be going with Robbie Ray, it is not a good situation. He's got an ERA that is north of 7. His walks per 9 is above 7 as well. I mean, it certainly has been bad. I mean, things were so terrible for the Toronto Blue Jays on Friday that Santiago Espinal wound up pitching the ninth inning for the scene, but you take a look at Toronto AK Buffalo. You do have quite a few guys that are firing on Al Cylinders when it comes to batting average now. Teoscar Hernandez has been out of the fold along with Rowdy Tellez. Tellez is currently on the 10-day injured list for Hernandez. He was hitting above a 300. He's given the team a double-digit amount of home runs, but Randall Gritchick along with Jonathan Davis, Lourdes Gurriel are all guys hitting between a 270 and a 295, and they certainly have been able to all provide a little bit of power. you got Travis Shaw, Jonathan VR, Kevon Biggio, Joe Panic, Derek Fisher, and also Mr. Espinal, all in between that 240 and a 260 range, but you've obviously got a lot of power at the top with Kevon Vigio over a 370 on base. Six home runs for him. You like what he's able to bring to the table. Boba Shett still have the fold for this team. But the catcher spot with guys like Danny Jansen, Reese McGuire and company has not been solved, but this is a team that one through nine, they do have some danger when it comes to everyone in the lineup. And for the New York Mets, this is a team that they rank in the top five when it comes to batting average in pretty much every offensive category. Now, they can be inconsistent, but you take a look at what you're able to trot out there. Michael Conforto, Jake Mar- Rizek, Dom Smith, Robinson Cano, Luis Galorme, Jeff McNeil, all hitting at 325 or higher. You just don't find that in the MLB these days. Meanwhile, J.D. Davis has been able to hit right around at 270 for this team. Andres Jimenez has given this team a whole lot of something as well. Brandon Nimmo at the top of the lineup has a 385 on base to go with a 250-ish batting average. Pete Alonso has not necessarily done a great job of getting on base. He's hitting just a 226, but he's got a double-digit amount of home runs as well, so in this spot, if you wind up getting someone like Robbie Ray, Ross Stripling came in in relief a couple days ago, but I wouldn't be surprised if he might get a call here. It certainly would be a spot in which I am going to be taking a look at this total over if it's south of 11, and this is also going to be a spot in which I'd probably be taking a look at the New York Mets as long as they're respectable on the money line. Check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GRS41, but certainly where I'm leaning with this one. 959-960 on the betting board is up next. The Tampa Bay Hot Shell Rays are going to be playing against the Boston Red Sox. This 
this is another game that's off the board as for the Red Sox, it is going to be Nathan Eovaldi, and you've got Tyler Glasson who's going to be on the bump for the Tampa Bay Rays. If you're taking a look at a total that is nine or higher, I'll probably be taking a look at this total under now. What we're going to get out of Nathan Eovaldi is anyone's guess he last pitched on August 20th. He's been up and down so far this year. He had a big giant eight spot that he gave up against the New York Yankees, but that just seems to be his bugaboo team. Last time, he wanted facing off against the Tampa Bay Rays, ironically enough, on the road. He wound up getting six strikeouts in five innings, but gave up four runs at the process. Team wound up losing that game by a count of five to one. But you take a look at Tyler Glassell. 66 punch outs in 39 and a third innings. He's been absolutely masterful there. The walks were an issue at the beginning of the year, but he's done a better job of that. You take a look at what he's done recently. He has given up a grand total of five walks in his last three starts, so he has certainly been able to shore that up, giving up three runs or fewer in each out of his last four starts as well. Now, he has had a couple issues with the Boston Red Sox. He wound up giving up five runs at a start, but in that start as well, the Tampa Bay Rays wound up putting up late 15 runs on the board, so that was absolutely terrific. But you take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays team. They seem to be a little bit of an all-or-nothing offense. They certainly were able to do a very solid job Friday night as they were able to get a little bit of something out of just about everyone in the lineup, but it certainly can be a little bit of a horse apiece situation with the Tampa Bay Rays team. You certainly have been able to get a whole lot out of Brandon Lau. With Brandon Lau, he's been able to give this team a double-digit amount of home runs. He's hitting in the neighborhood of about a 260-ish. But then you've got a couple guys that they need to pick it up. G-Man Choi, Kevin Kiermaier, Yoshi Sutsogo, Nate Lowe, Brett Phillips, Mike Zanino, Michael Perez, Austin Meadows, all in a 230 or lower, and then you throw in there Hunter Renfro, who's sitting below the Mendoza line. That's not necessarily been ideal, but Joey Wendell has been able to give this team a 260 batting average, and then you've also been able to get a whole lot of something whenever Mark Russo has been out there for the Boston Red Sox. They actually have some solid hitting. You had Sandra Bogarts, Rafael Devers, Christian Vasquez, Jackie Bradley Jr., Bobby Dahlbeck, Christian Arroyo, all in between a 260 and a 281 for this team. And then Alex Verdugo at the top hitting a 313 with a 371 on base. So you certainly have been able to get that going. But for Christian Vasquez, he had four home runs to start the season in like the first week and a half. He still is stuck on four home runs. And seemingly the only guy that is hitting home runs for this team at this point is Bobby Dahlbeck, who's hit like five home runs over the team's last 10 games. So he has been doing a great job there. J.D. Martinez, though, he has been a big bust. And then you've got a couple younger infielders that they're just not cutting it. Zhu Wei Lin is hitting up below a 225. And then you've got Mr. Jonathan Arus, who's hitting a 222 as well. So it certainly is going to be a little bit of an interesting situation. I do think that you should be able to get a very good start here from Tyler Glass, so probably going to be looking at the Rays in some form or fashion. With it being Nathan Eovaldi out there on the mound, it might not be overly chalky, so it's going to dictate whether I go money line or run line, and like I said, total of 9 or lower, certainly going to be looking at this total over at 9 or higher. I'll certainly be looking at the under at 8.5. Might get a little bit more interesting just because I need to check out the bullpen situation with the Boston Red Sox, so check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at JRS41, but initial look there. 961, 962 on the betting board is up next. You've got the Pittsburgh Pirates, and they're going to be hitting the road face-off against the Kansas City Royals. Going for the Royals in this one, it is going to be the Major League debut start of one, Carlos Hernandez. Meanwhile, Trevor Williams is going to be on the bump for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Their total on scheme is 9. Over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even and minus 105. The Royals find themselves as anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the plus price here with the Buccos, that's anywhere between even money and plus 110. Certainly has been a trying year for the Pittsburgh Pirates. They wind up losing once again on Friday, so it's been tough there. And for Trevor Williams, this is someone that during the 2018 season actually had the best ERA in the second half of the season after the All-Star break of all 
qualified pitchers, but he's given up 10 home runs in 40 and a third innings. He has given up 15 walks as well. It has not been great there. Meanwhile, you take a look at Hernandez. This is someone that at the minor league level had some success, and he's made two long relief appearances, I believe both in starts in which you wound up having Matt Harvey pitching. And he's actually done a solid job. He's given up one run over the course of six and a third innings, but it certainly is a whole different beast starting rather than coming in after Matt Harvey winds up giving up 100 million billion hits and runs. And for both of these teams, the offense has been scuffling a little bit for the Kansas City Royals. You've got Salvador Perez along with Jorge Soler that are both dealing with injuries. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Pittsburgh Pirates. They have been able to get a little bit of something out of Cabrian Hayes. He's hitting above a 350. This was one of the most highly touted prospects out there in their farm system. And so far, so good for him. But then you got quite a few guys that they just need to pick it up. Adam Frazier, Gregory Blanco, Josh Bell, Brian Reynolds, just among the many. Kevin Newman hitting a 235 or lower. You just expect a little bit more. Now, Eric Gonzalez is hitting a 270 and Jacob Songs hitting a 285. That has been rock solid. But, I mean, this is a team that they have left a whole lot to be desired at the plate. Meanwhile, for the Kansas City Royals, you've got quite a few other guys that are hitting between a 225 and a 241. Hunter Dozier, along with Bubba Starlin, Nicky Lopez, all fall into that fold with Adelberto Mondesi. is hitting a 210 and Ryan O'Hearn just above the Mendoza line. But you got to feel like the return of Perez is not going to just help out with the bat because he's hitting a 315 on the year. He went 204 in his first game back off the injured list, but he also provides a whole lot of something at the dish as well behind the plate. Cam Gallagher was able to do a solid job of getting on base, but you can tell that the Royals pitching staff was a little bit out of sorts. And then you got Wim Merrifield at the top of the fold as well. He's hitting right around a 265, and Miguel Franco hitting a 280. He's been able to provide 30 RBI. He has been doing a rock-solid job there. Now with the Kansas City Royals, Bullpen wound up getting used up a little bit on Friday. You had Scott Barlow, Greg Holland have to put in quite a few pitches, and then you also had to go to Josh Stamont as well for the Pittsburgh Pirates. This is just a bullpen that is brutal to say the least. Stephen Brault was not able to give them the relief that they had desired. And then from there, you wind up actually getting four solid innings out of the bullpen, but guys like Nick Turley, Jeff Hartley, the guys that you really rely upon, they wind up having to be used as well. So for that reason, I do think it's going to be a little bit of a higher scoring game, so I'm going to be going with this total over, but I do think that there is some value here on the Pittsburgh Pirates just because I think in Hernandez's first start, he is not necessarily going to be able to provide a lot of length. And with a little bit of a tax bullpen and a lot of those trustworthy guys getting used, I think it's going to lead to some runs for what has been a struggling Pittsburgh Pirates team. So we're going to be taking the Buckos and this total over. We move on to 963-964, which will be coupled with 981-982. This is going to be a double dip between the Oakland A's who are hitting the road to face off against the Texas Rangers. In game two of this doubleheader, we have no earthly idea who the Oakland A's are going to be going with. Meanwhile, as it stands right now on ESPN, it is going to be Kobe Allard going for the Texas Rangers. Now, in the first game, 963-964. Right now, the Oakland A's are apparently going with Chris Bassett. And for the Texas Rangers, it's to be determined. We've just got a whole bunch of guys, and we have absolutely no idea who's going to be going when. So it is going to be very interesting as both of these games are currently off the board. I can tell you this for the Oakland A's. If they do wind up going with Chris Bassett in any of these games, he has actually been quite solid for this team. 312 ERA. He has been able to lend some very good length recently. He's went more than five innings in four out of his last five starts. In the process, he has been hit around a little bit. He's given up three-plus runs in four out of his last five starts, but his last start against the Houston Astros, masterful, seven scoreless innings. Now, I will say he did wind up giving up seven hits in the process, so that's been a little bit of an issue, but you take a look at what the Texas Rangers are doing in offense. It's not necessarily terrific. They were able to get six runs on the board on Friday, but you just take a look at this lineup in general. Joey Gallo. 
Elvis Andrews, Rudnett Odor. They now have a new catcher that is absolutely awful in Sam Huff. Jeff Mathis, among the many that are currently hitting a 200 or lower for this team. And then you have been able to get a little bit of something towards the bottom of the lineup. Nick Solek, Ronald Guzman, Anderson Teata, all guys hitting between a 268 and a 290. And it's been interesting to watch our center fielder, Lodi Tavares. He's been able to give this team right around a 230 batting average, but his on base is right around 325. But by and large, you just haven't been able to get a lot of production out of pretty much the Texas Rangers in general. And for the Oakland A's, this is a team that's in the bottom 10 of the big leagues when it comes to batting average as well. But it feels like they are starting to get a little bit more of something out of a lot of their guys. Now, Vimeo Machin, along with Chris with the K Davis, Matt Olson, Ramon Laureano, Marcus Simeon, all these guys are in a 225 or lower, but I will say this, for Laureano, on base percentage is right around a 357, so that has been pretty solid. And then you got quite a few guys that have been able to help out. They acquired Tommy LaSalle at the trade deadline. He's hitting a 275, and then you've got Tony Kemp along with Mark Canna, Robbie Grossman, lying between a 246 and a 258, and with the on base percentage of Grossman and Canna between a 385 and a 390, this is a team that does a good job of drawing walks. And when it comes to runs produced per hit, this is a team that's in the top five of the big leagues as well. For the Rangers, they wound up trying the opener system on Friday. And boy, it did not go as planned as Luis Garcia wound up giving up a grand slam. He made a start and he recorded as many outs as Greg Peterson. So they wound up having Jordan Lyles just hang out there to dry. He went seven innings, pitching 150 pitches to preserve the bullpen for as much as possible for this doubleheader. Meanwhile, the Oakland A's, they certainly didn't have to do any of that. You're going to have a lot of these guys, like Liam Hendricks, like Lou Trevino, even TJ McFarland, who wound up throwing 24 pitches. He may or may not be in the fold for this team, but JB Wendelkin, he wound up going for 15 pitches. He should probably be in the fold, so you've got to think that this is going to be a massive advantage for the A's. You're going to have Jake Diekman out there. It's just one of these things where I think that we're going to be looking at the Oakland A's in both of these spots, unless if for some reason Lance Lynn is going to be pitching one of these games for the Texas Rangers, which I can tell you based on the rotations, it's certainly not going to be. Now with these totals, it's going to be fascinating if you're seeing any of these totals north of seven and you're getting somewhat respectable pitchers, I'm probably going to be going with a couple of unders. Now, with a Colby Allard start, that's going to be fascinating at six and a half. I probably would be taking a look at the over. Seven might be my buy point on the under, but with Colby Allard, he has been all over the place so far this year. It seems like that's the one guy that it looks like is going to be going for the Texas Rangers. 0-5 record, 7.22 ERA. He has been doing an okay job of keeping the ball in the yard. He's given up four home runs over the course of 28 and two-thirds innings. And recently, he's been a mixed bag. He's given up two runs or fewer in two out of his last three starts. In the other start against the Seattle Mariners, he wound up giving up eight runs. And what's been big for him, the fact that he's given up 16 walks in 28 and two-thirds innings. And typically, that means that the bullpen is going to be used. So Nick Goody, Jonathan Hernandez, and company, they're going to be getting quite a workout. They're going to probably be looking at the A's in both of these games, unless if something unbeknownst to me or the A's wind up trotting out there, someone completely awful winds up happening. But with the totals, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at JRSquarty1 says that is going to be a horse apiece situation. 965-966 on the betting board is up next. This is another game that's off the board as we've got the Detroit Tigers hitting the road face against the Chicago White Sox. Ronaldo Lopez goes for the White Sox. Meanwhile, Michael Fulmer is on the bump for the Detroit Tigers. For the Tigers, they actually got a very good start out of their young up-and-coming pitcher in Casey Mize on Friday. So that means that the bullpen of guys like Kyle Funkhauser and company going to be active for this one, but you got to figure that it's going to be Daniel Norris who's going to be piggybacking off of Michael Fulmer. Fulmer is being used as a pseudo-opener for the Detroit Tigers so far this year, and it has not been going well. 824 ERA has went 
19 and two-thirds innings. He's given up 10 walks and 7 home runs. That is not what you like to see. This is someone that has given up at least 3 runs in 3 out of his last 5 opens, and all of these have been 3 innings or fewer. So, I mean, that tells you right there how brutal it has been. Uh, but Daniel Norris, he's been able to follow him up, and he's been okay. Now, with Daniel Norris, it's not one of these situations in which you're going to be expecting him to light the world on fire, but at the very least, he's been able to do a solid job of holding down the fort. He's got a 2.57 ERA, and then when you take a look at Daniel Norris, because I actually think it's more critical to be handicapping him rather than Michael Fulmer, because he's actually went more innings so far this year. He's given up one home run and three walks of 21 innings. So, I mean, you have something to be had there if you're able to get through those first six-ish innings and have given up two runs or fewer, you're going to be certainly in good shape. Meanwhile, with Reynaldo Lopez... 83080 RA. He's probably going to be piggybacked by Gio Gonzalez. Gonzalez has been following him up in quite a few of his starts. And when you take a look at Lopez, this is someone that he has given up at least two runs in every one of his four starts. And he has won four innings or fewer in all of them as well. You take a look at what happened the last time he wound up starting a game that was against the Minnesota Twins. He wound up going one and two-thirds innings. And then Ross Detweiler actually wound up following him up. So we might see both Gio Gonzalez and Ross Detweiler. For Detweiler, he last pitched on Tuesday. So he's certainly going to be able to go and this is someone that has starting experience, so he'll probably be able to give the same three plus innings if needed. And he's got a buck 56 ERA. This entire White Sox bullpen has been very solid. But what else has been very solid? The White Sox hitting so far this year. This is a bunch that they're able to put up runs in a hurry. They went banging four runs on the board and just three hits in the win on Friday. And you've got a whole bunch of guys that they're doing a great job with the batting average. You got to feel like the bats are going to be able to bust out, unlike what they wound up doing on Friday. You've got Yomer Sanchez, Nick Madrigal, James McCann. Jose Abreu and Tim Anderson all hitting a 300 or greater. And then past that, Adam Engel, Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, our guys are in between a 260 and a 285. And all these guys have power. Jimenez, 12 home runs. We all know about that stretch that Jose Abreu had earlier this year. He's got 13 home runs, 40 RBI. Tim Anderson has been able to take some ball deep along with Luis Roberts. So that has been rock solid for this team. Meanwhile, for the Detroit Tigers, this is a bunch that they do a solid job of getting on base. Jonathan Scope, Victor Reyes, Jameer Candelario, Willie Castro, all guys hitting a 280 or higher. Now, I will say, this is a feast or famine lineup, as Pat said. You wind up having Austin Romine and Miguel Cabrera in between a 240 and a 250. And then from there, you wind up having just a massive clip dive as Daz Cameron, Isaac Paredes, Christian Stewart, Grayson Griner, guys like this, all in below 200. I think it's going to be an interesting situation. If you wind up seeing the Detroit Tigers as something like a plus 175 underdog, I'll actually take a shot here because I like Daniel Norris with Gio Gonzalez. He should be able to come out of the bullpen, Ian Ross Detweiler, and do a solid job of piecemealing a couple innings together, but the Detroit Tigers have actually been doing a solid job with the bullpen. They have been very feisty. They do a good job of getting on base. If you're seeing a total that is south of 10, I'll probably take it over. If you're seeing a total that is 10 or higher, I'll probably be taking a look at that under, but check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Jaren's41 for some plays there. 967, 968 on the betting board is up next. We've got the Milwaukee Brewers, and they are going to be playing mostly Chicago Cubs. Kyle Hendricks going to be going for the Cubs. Meanwhile, Brett Anderson is on the bump for the Brew Crew. If you're looking at the Brewers, going to be finding them as an underdog of anywhere between plus 105 and plus 115. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Cubbies, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 118 and minus 125 total in this game, ranging between 8.5 and 9. On the NF, over is minus 115. The under is minus 105. On the 9, the under is anywhere between minus 120 and minus 125. Over is anywhere between even a plus 105. This has certainly been a tough situation for the Chicago Cubs as they begin the year 13-2. and And all of a sudden, the Milwaukee Brewers have been able to win quite a few games against them. 
And for the Milwaukee Brewers, the lineup is certainly leaving something to be desired. They did not wind up winning on Friday because they were able to put up a bunch of runs. It was a 1-0, just complete and utter slobber knocker. And for the Chicago Cubs, where is the offense for this team? Here are all the guys that are in a 215 or lower for this team. Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Kyle Schwarber, Javi Baez, David Bodie. I mean, it's absolutely terrible. And then from there, Victor Carantini, Nico Horner, are a pair of guys in between a 230 and a 240. Really, your main constants for this team have been Ian Happ and Jason Ayer. Both of these guys hitting in the neighborhood of about a 285 with an on-base percentage north of 390. So they have been able to get the job done. But past that, you've got absolutely nothing to speak of for this team. And for the Chicago Cubs, bullpen has been a little bit better recently. Now, they did wind up giving up one run that wound up being the difference in the game. But they actually got a good start out of John Lester. For, meanwhile, for the Milwaukee Brewers, you did wind up using up Josh Hader and Devin Williams on Friday. But they had a day off before that. Both of these guys used 12 pitchers. So conceivably, they could come back in this game. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, it does feel like this lineup is starting to heat up a little bit more. That certainly did not show itself on Friday, as you've got quite a few guys that, for this team, are still hitting below a 225. Kesson Hippipura, Christian Yelich, Ryan Braun, along with Eric Sogard, Jacob Nottingham, all in that neighborhood. But obviously, Garcia and Orlando Garcia are hitting between a 245 and a 260. Luis Arreyes is hitting a 280. And Jed Gurko. He's actually got a 370 on base and a 290 batting average. I never thought I would say that Chad Gurko is right now the best hitter of the Milwaukee Brewers, but that certainly is the case. And what you need to note with the Chicago Cubs, the home and road splits of Kyle Hendricks. Kyle Hendricks, whenever he's at home, he is a professor. 5-4 and four record, 341 ERA overall, but let's dive into the splits. At home, 227 ERA. In five starts, he's given up three home runs and two walks at home. On the road, he has a 524 ERA, 2-2 and two record, 22 and two-thirds innings on the road. He's given up four home runs. Meanwhile, at home, those 35 and two-thirds innings yielded the three home runs and the two walks that he surrendered. So, certainly a tale of two pitchers there. And for Brett Anderson, he's been pretty rock solid for the Milwaukee Brewers. So, he certainly has had his ups and his downs. He has given up at least four runs at each out of his last two starts. And those were to the Pirates and the Cleveland Indians. Those are two of the worst lineups that you're going to find out there in the big leagues for the Cubs. This is a team that averages right around 5.8 runs per game on the road. That is the best out there in baseball. So I do think we're going to get a higher scoring game, but I think that those splits of Kyle Hendricks are going to rear their ugly head. So I'm going to be going with the plus price here of the Milwaukee Brewers, and I'm going to be going with the total over as well. 969-970 on the betting board is up next. You've got the LA Angels on the road facing off against the Colorado Rockies. Kyle Freeland is going to be going for the Rockies. Meanwhile, Aime Badia is going to be going for the Angels. Your total on this game is 12.5. The over and the under, anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. If you're looking at the Rockies, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 118 and minus 130. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Angels is anywhere between plus 105 and plus 120. For the Angels, they have actually found a little bit of something in Mr. Bonilla. He has been doing a solid job for the team, and my goodness gracious, they need it because they have had some bad pitching. 338 ERA, 18 and two-thirds innings. He's given up seven walks, but he's also only given up two home runs, and this is someone that has given up three runs or fewer in two long relief appearances and two starts, and he's been able to get some punch outs in the process with 17 of them. So, by and large, he's been able to do his job. Meanwhile, for Kyle Freeland, absolutely amazing start to the season for him. He has come back to earth a little bit more recently, giving up at least three runs in three of his last four starts, but his last start against the San Diego Padres was absolutely terrific. Six innings pitch, three hits surrendered, no runs. That is exactly what you like to see. Now, the Rockies have lost four out of his last five starts, but not a lot he can do when the team winds up losing 1-0 to zero to the San Diego Padres, 4-3 to three against the LA Dodgers, and 2-1 to, to the Houston Astros. So he's actually been able to do a solid job there. And this is someone that 
is one of those rare breeds of guys that is able to pitch at Coors Field now at home. It doesn't sound impressive, but a 450 ERA. So he's been pretty rock solid. And for the Colorado Rockies, this is the top team when it comes to batting average at home so far this year. But do note this, even though the Colorado Rockies do have such a good home batting average, they're towards the middle of the pack when it comes to home runs per at-bat when you're at home. I think it's just because of the strange dimensions at Coors Field. But then you take a look at what you're able to get out of that lineup. For the Colorado Rockies, Remy Altabia, Trevor Story, Charlie Blackman are all guys hitting between a 297 and north of a 300. Then from there, you've got Nolan Arenado, Matt Kemp, Kevin Pillar, along David Murphy hitting between a 250 and a 270. Got a little bit of something to be desired with guys like Tony Walters, but Josh Fuentes is hitting above 300. And for the Angels, this is a very top-heavy group right now. You've got Anthony Rendon, Mike Trout, and... And Dalton Simmons hitting between a 295 and a 305. And for Mike Trout, obviously, this is a man that has 15 plus home runs. Jared Walsh has been able to do a solid job as well. He's hitting at 256 and he's heated up recently as well. He's been able to give the team three home runs in their last six games. Then you wind up getting into some of the famine bats. That would be Justin Upton, Joe Adele, Shohei Otani, Anthony Benboom, Luis Rangifo, Need I Go On, of guys earning a 200 or lower for the team. Taylor Ward has been able to give the team a little bit of something with a 265. Max Sassy being back is nice, but they wound up having to go to the bullpen for Felix Pena, one of their better relievers. Now, you are going to have guys like Cam Bedrosian, Kenyon Middleton, and company that are going to be available, so I do think that this is a total that's going to go under. I think that Bernardo is going to be able to give a decent start here. I just think that this is a situation in which the bullpen is not going to be able to hold up for the Angels. The offense has not been the same ever since David Fletcher went on the 10-day injured list. And for the Rockies, I think that they're going to be held in check because, keep in mind, they were able to hang eight runs on the board on Friday before them came on the final swing of the bat with a grand slam. So we're going to be taking this total under, and we are going to be riding with the Colorado Rockies. 971-972 on the betting board is up next. You've got the Arizona Diamondbacks playing OC Seattle Mariners. Justice Sheffield is going to be going for the Mariners. Meanwhile, Zach Gallen is on the bump for the D-backs. If you're looking at the Diamondbacks, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 155 and minus 170. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Mariners is anywhere between plus 145 and plus 155. Total in this game is 8. With the 8, you're going to find that over anywhere between minus 110 and minus 125. is anywhere between plus 105 and minus 110. Seeing an 8.5 out there as well with the 8.5. Over is minus 105. The under is minus 115. And for Zach Gallen, he certainly has gotten off to a very nice start to his career. 24 starts. He's given up 3 runs or fewer in 23 of them, but He's got a 1-1 record to show for a 229 ERA, 60 strikeouts, and 55 innings so far this year. He's really just been a tough luck pitcher. Meanwhile, you take a look at Justin Sheffield. He's given up two home runs in 37 and a third innings. He has been rock solid. The 13 walks are... Take it or leave it, but the 434 ERA has been pretty good. I will say he's been a little bit inconsistent. He gave up six runs in a start against the LA Angels to close that August, but two runs or fewer given out in four out of his last five starts after a little bit of a tough start to the year. I do like what he's showing there for the Seattle Mariners. This is the team that they traded away quite a few pieces at the trade deadline, so they aren't quite as much of a machine to the over on the road as they were at the beginning of the year, but you still have Dylan Moore, Ty France, Kyle Lewis, Kyle Seager. All these guys have a 360 or greater on base. And for all these guys, aside from Kyle Seager, hitting a 282 or greater. So that has been very nice to see. But bottom of this lineup, it is leaving a whole lot of something to be desired. As Jorge Mamalois, along with D. Strange Gordon, Philip Irvin, Braden Bishop, Shed Long, list goes on and on of guys that are in a 220 or lower for this team. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, you got Cattell Marte currently on the 10-day injured list, which means that both pieces of the Marte Parte to begin the year currently on the fold. That does not make us happy. Josh Rojas along Tim LeCastro. Both of these guys are in between a 230 and a 240. Christian Walker's hitting a 280. And then from there, you've got Eduardo Escobar, Cole Calhoun, 
Stephen Voigt, Carson Kelly, Wyatt Matheson, Dalton Varsho. List goes on and on of guys that are ring a 200 or lower for this team. It's been absolutely terrible for the years in the Diamondbacks. They have not very much when it comes to relief pitching. Juan Lopez has been able to give this team a couple innings, but by and large, it hasn't been great for the Seattle Mariners. They traded away quite a few of their trustworthy bullpen arms at the deadline, but I do think that both of these starters should be able to go six-plus innings. I think it's going to be an almighty struggle for either team to score, but I just have a little bit more faith here in the Seattle Mariners. I know that both of these teams are a little bit more top-heavy, but I do look at guys like Kyle Lewis and company as being able to produce just enough to be able to get this job done. So we're going to be taking the plus price here of the Seattle Mariners, and I'm going to be taking this total under as well. 973, 974 on the betting board is up next. You've got the Cincinnati Reds. Yes, we are on to Cincinnati, and they are going to be on the road facing off against the St. Louis Cardinals. Dakota Hudson goes for the cards. Meanwhile, TJ Antone is on the bump for the Cincinnati Reds. Total on this game's 8.5. Under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115, and the same is going to go for the over. If you're taking a look at the St. Louis Cardinals, you're laying anywhere between minus 127 and minus 140. Your plus price here with the Red Legs is anywhere between plus 115 and plus 125 for the Cincinnati Reds. They've actually been able to get a little bit of something out of TJ Antone. In his last start, he won five strong innings, giving up one run, and he's been able to be a solid long reliever for this team. 249 ERA overall. He's given up three home runs and gotten 33 strikeouts over the course of 25 and a third innings. 11 walks are still a little bit high, but Dakota Hudson, he's actually been much better this year as well. This is very much a ground ball pitcher. He gets 27 strikeouts over the course of 31 innings, and it's given up nine walks. When he gets the ball in the air, it sometimes can be a little bit costly as he has given up five home runs so far this year. But you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals lineup. I've been saying it for a while. They may or may not run out of gas, but what really trumps that is the fact that the Cincinnati Reds have been just such a massive disappointment. You expected more out of the bullpen from guys like Rossiel, Iglesias, Amir Garrett and company. Now, they were able to put things together and they were able to get a win on Friday with Luis Castillo being able to do a very good job. But you just take a look at the Cincinnati Reds lineup. It's really been Jesse Winker and... Well, a whole lot of Jesse Winker. He's been able to give this team a batting average that is hovering right in the neighborhood of about a 275. He's been able to give this team some pot up. And for Nick Cassianos, he has been able to hit for 12 home runs. He's hitting in the neighborhood of a 240, so that has been pretty rock solid. But then you take a look at pretty much the rest of the lineup. Shogo Akiyama, Joey Votto, Eugenio Suarez, Brian Goodwin, Aristides Aquino, Freddie Galvis. Kirk Casale, Tucker Barnard, along with young shortstop Jose Garcia, Mike Moustakis. All these guys are hitting a 231 or lower. I mean, it's just been absolute garbage. Meanwhile, for the St. Louis Cardinals, you have some guys who are doing a good job of getting on base. How about Colton Wong along with Brad Miller hitting between a 275 and a 270. Both of these guys with an on-base percentage north of a 370. Now you have a little bit of something to be desired with a few of these guys. Harrison Bader has been up and down, and then you've got Matt Carpenter, Tyler O'Neill, and Lane Thomas all in below the Mendoza line of 200. Couple that with Matt Wieters as well, but Matt Wieters isn't seeing as much playing time because Yadier Molina is back. Not only does he help out the pitching set, but he's hitting a 270 himself. Paul DeYoung has been able to hit a 300 and then Paul Goldschmidt 454 on base 317 batting average now this is a bunch that they couldn't generate a lot on offense on Friday but you still are going to have a bunch of good pieces out there ready to go in the bullpen like a John Gant you're also going to have Giovanni Gallegos who said a little bit of a rough year but I do like what he brings to the table I do think that the St. Louis Cardinals are going to be able to get a good performance here for the Cincinnati Reds obviously bullpen is rested because they didn't have to go to it at all with Luis Castillo on the mound but I do think that TJ Antone going to get it around a little bit here I do think that 
that the Cardinals are going to be able to pump out some offense. So I'm going to be going with this total over, and I'm going to be riding with the St. Louis Cardinals. We move on to 975-976 on the betting board. you got the Houston Astros hitting the road to face off against the LA Dodgers. Julio Arias is going to be going for the Dodgers. Meanwhile, Frambar Valdez is on the bump for the Houston Astros. For the Astros, the plus price here is pretty solid. Anywhere between plus 130 and plus 142. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay it with the Dodgers, it's anywhere between minus 142 and minus 155. And for Frambar Valdez, it certainly has been starting to come back around for him a little bit. But by and large, he's been able to do a solid job. He did wind up giving up seven runs in his last start, but that team just left him out to dry against the LA Angels. They had played a double dip the day before. They tried to get every sort of inning that they could out of him. As a result, he wound up just giving up 11 hits in that start. And he has given up three plus runs in each out of his last four starts, but one of those starts, he gave up two unearned runs, and he certainly has done a good job of cutting down on the walks. Last year, he was giving up right around five walks per nine innings. So far this year, more around two and a half, and he's gotten 50 strikeouts, so I do like the way that he's been able to come into his own. Meanwhile, for Mr. Julio Urias, he has been a little bit inconsistent as the length has not necessarily been there for him, but it seems like he was dealing with a little bit of an injury before. He seems to be getting fully healthy now. He has went four innings or more in each out of his last three starts now. One of those starts was four innings. One of those starts was four and a third. And he wound up giving up four runs in two of those starts. And another one of those starts, he only gave up one. So, been a little bit inconsistent there. But he's only given up 12 walks in 37 and a third innings. He's only been taken deep five times. Not great, but not necessarily terrible. And for the Dodgers, they back him up with a bullpen that is in the top five with regards to ERA. And the Dodgers wound up having to go to that bullpen quite a bit Thursday because they wound up having an off day on Friday. You got to think that them not being able to have Tony Gonsolin is going to hurt them a little bit because he was actually supposed to start this game before Mr. Urias. But with that said, you take a look at this LA Dodgers team. It is very interesting as to what you're going to be able to get out of them because you do have a couple guys that they need to pick it up with their batting average. Kike Hernandez coupled with Cody Bellinger, Max Muncie. You even take a look at someone like an Edwin Rios. These guys are hitting a 230 or for this bunch, so certainly has been a little bit of a struggle there, but you take a look at the LA Dodgers as well. Mookie Betts has been absolutely terrific, hitting above a 300, double-digit amount of home runs for him. You've also been able to get a little bit more of something out of Will Smith. He's hitting below a 250, but the on-base percentage is north of a 370, so he certainly has been able to provide a lot with that regard. Corey Seager, double-digit amount of home runs, he's hitting a 315, and then you've also been able to get something out of Chris Taylor as well, along with Austin Burns, both of these guys hitting the neighbor of a 260. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Houston Astros. This is a team that's still with some injuries, but they have now gotten Alex Bregman back in the fold, and you gotta think that after having just a brutal series against the Oakland A's, they just have not been able to hit the A's all year long, that they're going to be able to pick it up. You do have Josh Reddick, along with Kyle Tucker, Yoli Gurriel, and Alex Bregman, all in between a 250 and a 260, and after a rough start to the year, George Springer, along with Martin Maldonado, both find themselves in between a 230 and a 240. Maldonado didn't get off to that rough start, it was George Springer, but both these guys have a 344 on base or greater as well. Michael Brantley has been able to do a great job, 380 on base, 310 batting average. So you do have something there. Along Carlos Correa continuing to be a good concept for this team. I do think that it's going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game because for the Dodgers, they have been doing an absolutely tremendous job with their bullpen, though I don't think that they're going to get a lot of length. For the Houston Astros, I think it's going to be the opposite. We certainly have seen the bullpen falter a little bit, but guys like Andre Scrub and Ryan Presley, more of their trustworthy bullpen arms, are going to be available in this game. I do think that Valdez is going to be able to give a good start and be able to help Houston get a win that they desperately need for their playoff lives. And keep in mind the revenge factor, as this is the first time these two teams are going to be scoring.
square you got for every Sensi Joe Kelly incident. So we're going to be going with the Astros with the plus price, and we're going to be going with this total under. And we wrap things up with 977, 978 on the betting board. It is the Cleveland Indians in the road face off against the Minnesota Twins. Rich Hill is going to be going for the Twins. Meanwhile, Zach Plesak is on the bump for the Indians. If you're looking at the Indians, laying anywhere between minus 113, minus 125. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Twins, that's anywhere between even and plus 112 for the Twins. Certainly has been an interesting year for this team. We have seen them become one of the top under teams out there in baseball. They and the Indians, ironically enough, are the top two teams with that regard. And for the Cleveland Indians, man, someone needs to tell this team that it's not illegal to put the ball in play and get on base. You do have a couple guys in Delino DeShields Jr., Jose Ramirez, Cesar Hernandez, and Francisco Lindor, only between a 252 and a 274. And all these guys have been doing a solid job of getting on base as well. This is an Indian team that they actually draw a lot of walks, but problem is they just don't know how to drive guys in to save their lives. You got Fran Bill Reyes sitting above 300 with a 370 on base, but he's seen his on base average sink a little bit as well. But then you got Oscar Mercado, Roberto Perez, Sandy Leon, Austin Hedges, Carlos Santana. All guys are in a 200 lower. Domingo Santana has been a hot mess for this team as well. And for the Minnesota Twins, they've suffered from a little bit of this as well. You just expect a little bit more out of some of these guys. Josh Donaldson, Miguel Sano, Eddie Rosario, only between a 236 and a 250. Byron Buxton is in that fold as well. Jake Cave is hitting a 222. Max Kepler is currently out of the fold. You've got Marwin Gonzalez hitting a 200. I will say that they have been able to get a nice surprise out of Ryan Jeffers. He winds up going deep for the team in their win over Shane Bieber fever on Friday, and he's hitting right around a 290, but Nelson Cruz has really had to do a little bit of everything for the team. 333 batting average, 422 on base. At 40 years old, he's got 15 home runs at 31 RBI. He's been amazing, and for both of these teams, two of the best bullpens that you're going to find out there in the big leagues. Both of these teams are in the top seven with that regard, but I will say for the Cleveland Indians, they are going to have guys like Oliver Perez and company that are going to be available, and for Zach Lisak, you wondered what you were going to be able to get out of him after he wound up having that incident what she wound up really ostracizing some of his teammates. He was a very interesting case study, but ever since he's wound up coming back, he has been rock solid. 34 innings across his five starts so far this year. He's given up five home runs and just two walks in the process in his two starts ever since the beginning of the month of September. A combined two runs given up over the course of 13 innings. I will say that that was against the Kansas City Royals, but tell that to the rest of his team because they weren't having the easiest job there. Meanwhile, for Rachel, this is someone that has won five innings or fewer in every one of his starts so far this year, but I will say he has given up two runs or fewer in every one of his starts as well. I think that we're going to be looking at another low scoring slog, but I do think that Polisek is going to continue his winning ways. We're going to be taking the Cleveland Indians in this spot and we're going to be taking this total under as well. And then we'll wrap things up for the baseball betting podcast on this Saturday. A big thanks to Jason Radowitz of SBR, aka Sportsbook Review, for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and tune in. And if you ever have a question for the podcast, fire that in my Twitter timeline at JRS41. Hopefully you're all safe, up and doing well. I will talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.